Right, this morning's reading is from Matthew, chapter 6, starting at verse 19, verse 19 to 25. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Just six verses for us to uh, look at together this morning. Just six verses, but my goodness, they are packed full of content, aren't they? With metaphors and other imagery for us to reflect on uh, and get our teeth into. There's, there's treasures and there's lamps and there's slavery. And as I'm sure you've noticed, several vivid contrasts in the passage too. First and most obvious one, perhaps being uh, the contrast between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. Earthly treasures uh, that are uh, temporary and vulnerable and corruptible. And then heavenly treasures, which are permanent and secure and therefore infinitely more precious. There are other clear contrasts in the passage as well, aren't there, between the unhealthy and the healthy, between darkness and light, between hatred and love. And finally, at the end of verse 24, that most famous of contrasts, rivalry even between mammon and God, between money and the Lord. So, as I say, plenty to engage with here this morning. And as we come to look at these six verses together in their context, may the Holy Spirit, uh, who, in whose power the Lord Jesus first preached these words to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, And the spirit who who then guided and inspired one of those followers, Matthew, the the tax collector, to write them down for us. May that same personal, powerful spirit of holiness be at work in us, in you, to apply and drive home the truth and implication of these words to our hearts and minds. Because, well, the issues at stake here really could not be more important. How we respond to these words will determine not only the shape of our individual lives here on earth, and indeed the shape of your corporate life as a church, 
But also at stake here is where you and I will spend eternity. This is a passage about eternal destinies. Yes, it's about money uh, and, and possessions and houses and other things that we might treasure, uh, perhaps less tangible treasures like uh, our reputation or our status or our looks or our, our physical health even. But Jesus' focus in these verses is ultimately not on the treasures themselves, but rather on what they reveal, what our treasures reveal about our hearts and about our relationship with God. In other words, this passage is all about our spiritual health. It's a checkup for the soul. Now, when did you uh, last go to uh, Specsavers or uh, Vision Express for a checkup? Well, the middle paragraph here, verses 22 uh, and 23, emphasise, don't they, the need for regular spiritual eye tests. We'll unpack the metaphor, or try to unpack the metaphor a bit later on, but for now, just let the force of the image itself, the, the poetic language, hit home. Because whatever the precise meaning of verse 23, well, if your whole body is full of darkness, well, that sounds like a very serious matter, doesn't it? And if the light within you, reading on, if the light within you is actually darkness, how great is that darkness? Forget your eyes tested, says Jesus, not your physical eyes, but your spiritual sight, your, your spiritual eyes, because they need to be healthy. They need to be functioning well as a lamp for the whole body, verse 22. That is, as a guide for your life. Otherwise, you're going to be in a terrible mess. You're going to get into a terrible state. Your body, that is your whole world, will be a dark place. A dark place now and a dark place forever, actually. Your outer, uh, your ultimate destiny will be outer darkness if your spiritual eyes are bad. And so this passage can operate on us, and I pray it will, uh, like a retinal scanner at the opticians, or like an ECG machine, an echocardiogram on the heart. Have you ever had uh, one of those? Uh, highlighting any areas of concern that would otherwise be hidden. Spiritual blindness or spiritual heart disease, we might say. Indeed, given Jesus' words in verse 23, it's actually more like a whole body scan, this passage, isn't it? An MRI scan or, or a PET scan. And if you've ever had or you know someone who's had one of those scans for, for cancer, say, and the scan is, has shown up, as it did in my mum's case, uh, scattered spots of lymphoma all through the body or, or secondary cancers. Well, that's a, a serious thing, isn't it? That's a serious condition to be in, isn't it? That person could claim to be in good health and outwardly uh, they might even look the, the same as they always did. They might even be functioning, functioning quite normally. But here's the thing relating back to the passage. Having, having cancer 
uh, and being healthy don't go together, do they? By definition, they exclude one another. They don't mix like light and darkness, verse 22 and 23. Light and darkness don't mix. Having cancer and being healthy, they're mutually exclusive. And so are, verse 24, the love of God and the love of money. You cannot, last line of verse 24, you cannot, it is impossible to serve both God and money. You cannot have cancer and be in perfect health. You cannot have uh, glaucoma or, or, or cataracts or, or retinal damage and also have 20-20 vision. Those things rule each other out. And so does uh, serving both God and money. They, they rule each other out. You cannot love both God and mammon. Love for God and love for money, says Jesus, cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, of course, in a sense, this is not a new teaching like much of Jesus' previous teaching in this Sermon uh, on the Mount. What he says here echoes and expounds uh, and applies in a specific uh, and, and piercing way an Old Testament scripture, in this case, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Let me just read those verses to you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Moses said this to the Exodus generation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All. 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 All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. God's claim on us, if I can put it this way, is totalitarian. It leaves no wiggle room at all. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. The Lord demands 100% devotion to him. Not 100% uh, devotion divided up between him and our earthly treasures, whatever they may be. The Lord is a jealous God. Jealous for his people's affections, jealous for our devotion, jealous for our hearts. And there is no room, says Jesus, no room at all for the love of money in the heart of a Christian. You cannot be a materialistic Christian, in other words, not even just a little bit materialistic. And the heart that says it can the heart that protests, oh, no, I'm sold out for Jesus, 100% committed to the Lord. It's just that the other 10%, well, that's a heart that can't do maths, for one thing. But more seriously, it's a heart that even now is deceiving itself. Because no one, verse 24, no one says the Lord Jesus. No one can serve two masters. 
Now, of course, it's true, and maybe it's even increasingly the case that you can work two jobs. You can have two employers, can't you? But the language of verse 24 is not actually the language of employment. It's the language of slavery. It's the language of masters and servants. And nobody can be a slave to two masters. A slave master has ownership and therefore exclusive rights over his slave. And so the slave, by definition, must be loyal to just the one master. He or she cannot serve two. Slave cannot have divided loyalties. And so the Lord Jesus says, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. End of verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve both. No one can. No one listening to this sermon in the room that you're all in can serve two masters. No one. No one. No exceptions. See, you and I are created by the Lord to love him with all our hearts and with all our soul and with all our strength. And if we think that we can do that and at the same time give away some of our heart to, to money and earthly treasures, then at that point we are deluded and lost. We've, we've lost touch with reality. We're simply refusing to accept how and why God made us which is to worship him with our whole being. See, just as he is one, three persons, yes, but, but one God and indivisible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, said Moses. And just as he is one, just as God is single, indivisible, so he has made our hearts to be, as it were, indivisibly devoted to him wholly committed to him. That's why verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6 is preceded by and teed up by verse 4. Uh, Moses says, the Lord your God is one. And because he is one, indivisibly one, so you also are to be one that is undivided in your affections towards him and singularly focused on him. He is to be your ultimate treasure. All of your lives, O Israel, as individuals and as a nation, are to be consecrated in the service, in the exclusive service of your God. The one who rescued you from slavery to Pharaoh for, well, for what exactly? What did God rescue the Israelites from slavery for? Well, he rescued them from slavery to Pharaoh for slavery to himself. That's what he rescued them for. And of course, slavery to the Lord is nothing less than perfect freedom. See, the question is, uh, both for Old Testament Israel and for the New Testament church, it's not a question of whether, but which. It's not whether we'll be a slave or not. 
will always be a slave to someone or, or, or something. The question is which? The question is which master will we serve? Whose slave will we be? To whom or to what will we give our hearts? So let me ask you this morning, quite personally, albeit at some distance, which master are you serving now, this year, I mean, at the moment? Who or what do you treasure most? I said a few moments ago that this passage functions rather like a health scanner, which gives us, as it were, a readout on uh, the health of our spiritual eyes uh, and spiritual heart. The interesting thing, to me anyway, is that Jesus doesn't actually zone in immediately on the, the heart or the, or the eyes themselves, but rather he looks first, did you notice? He looks first at our activity, at our storing up of treasures. And again, it seems, doesn't it, that it's, it's not so much a question of whether, but which. It's not a question of whether we'll store up treasures, but which treasures we'll store up and invest in. Earthly treasures or heavenly ones. And where we choose to invest, our time, our emotions, our energies, the type of treasures that we chase after and, and store up for ourselves, well, they are very revealing, says Jesus, because our activities reveal our attitudes. So show me a man with a classic car collection, or show me a woman with 50 pairs of high-end designer shoes. And I'll show you someone with spiritual heart disease and unhealthy eyes. These are people who are storing up for themselves treasures on earth, aren't they? And whose hearts, therefore, according to Christ, verse 21, whose hearts, therefore, are equally earthbound. What does Jesus say, verse 21? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is that man's heart rooted? The guy with the classic car collection. Even if he claims to be a Christian man, where's his heart? Well, it's in the garage, isn't it? Where the garage is. He needs lots. And where's that woman's heart? Well, it's locked up in her wardrobes isn't it? In her shoe closet, because that's where her treasures are. And, well, if her heart is there now, in the darkness of that wardrobe, and if his heart is there now, in the darkness of those garages, well, their current symptoms this is a health scanner, remember. Their current symptoms and their long-term prospects are not good, are they? Unless they come to their senses and repent. See, they can protest loudly even that they love the Lord. But their actions, their storing up, their actions speak more loudly than their words, don't they? And that storing up of treasures on earth is not only foolish, 
I mean, those those gleaming, finely tuned Ferraris and Aston Martins will one day rust away or blow a gasket, won't they? And those fancy shoes are bound to wear out or break a heel or have wine spilled on them at some party or other, or just perish or be eaten by moths in the wardrobe. Or in either case, cars and shoes eventually, at best, they'll be left to their executors and family to dispose of after death. Yes, the Lord Jesus is not slow to point out the folly of these pursuits, but more than foolish, more than foolish even, it is so dangerous, it is spiritually deadly to live like this. It is spiritually deadly to live effectively like a pagan while claiming to be a Christian. Of course, we need to be careful, very careful, not to go beyond what the Lord Jesus is teaching here. He is not, for example, outright prohibiting Christians from accumulating wealth or possessions or from having a savings plan or from paying into a pension fund. Apart from anything else, there are other places in Scripture, aren't there, where believers are actually commanded uh, to work and plan ahead and save up for the future. Live prudently, in other words. We're expected to provide for our relatives, to take our family responsibilities seriously, and that includes church family responsibilities, of course. Equally, we're not supposed to go uh, round with sour faces, tutting disapprovingly and perhaps jealously at a couple who've, I don't know, just spent £100 on a, on a special birthday meal or who've celebrated their golden wedding by taking a once-in-a-lifetime cruise together. Now, the Lord has given us a good world, hasn't he? To steward and to enjoy. All good gifts come from him and are to be received from him with gratitude. So the issue here in Matthew 6 is not our enjoyment of creation, of all the blessings that God has lavished on us, but rather, rather the focus here is on the danger, the ever-present danger that we end up loving the gifts, the stuff, more than we love the giver. And that is idolatry, isn't it? The Bible calls idolatry. Remember how the Apostle Paul described the godless and the wicked in the first chapter of his letter to the Romans. Romans 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. That's what unbelievers do, isn't it? They worship and serve created things. They give themselves, they sell themselves into slavery to idols, which is not only foolish, but also dangerous. It's a path that leads to hell. The path that leads to hell. But then how much more foolish and how much more incongruous and inappropriate would it be for us, for those who call themselves Christians, to set our hearts on earthly things, however good and beautiful those things may be, rather than setting our hearts on our Heavenly Father, the Creator and Source of all those good things, and the One who is perfectly good and supremely 
beautiful and majestic and awesome and holy. I assume for some of us, some of you, uh, at least, I assume that the coming months are going to be financially challenging. Maybe you've already experienced that in the last few months, financial challenges with the rising cost of living, with interest rates rising. And, and given that financial and social context, it may well be prudent and responsible for us to do some extra financial planning to make savings here and cutbacks there, to put some extra money aside if we've got grown-up children who are struggling, uh, perhaps, on, on low pay or high rents in London. Maybe it might be right to put some extra money aside uh, if they're struggling to pay their energy bills. But at the same time, we do need to be careful, don't we? Because it's easy to use circumstances as excuses. And we do need to be wary, especially at times like this, of the strong gravitational pull of materialistic desires and thoughts. And so we need to keep on checking the uh, orientation of our hearts, perhaps helping each other to do that. So we need to keep on checking the direction of our gaze so that we don't yield to greed and covetousness so that we're not tempted to store up for ourselves treasures on earth look we are children of the heavenly king aren't we we've turned to the lord jesus in repentance and faith we are god's adopted royal children we have the privilege of royal sonship and as it were uh, unhindered access to the king in the throne room of heaven. Remember, he is the ultimate heavenly treasure, isn't he? The Lord himself. He's the ultimate jewel, our ultimate prize, our great reward, along with an endless life in the new creation of undiluted love, satisfying work, unrestrained worship and joy in incorruptible glory. And yet, we are still at least tempted, aren't we, to spend our days down here, royal children, but we're tempted still to, as it were, scrabble about in the dustbins around the back of the palace, grubbing around for treasures in there, which we then squirrel away in some broken down shed out in the woods or some underground cave like Gollum with his precious ring. Great, isn't it? How Tolkien captures the ugliness and the dehumanizing uh, nature of that mindset and how self defeating it all is. See, our activities, as the Lord Jesus says here, our activities reveal our attitudes. And Christians who love earthly treasures, Christians who are enthralled to earthly treasures, are no Christians at all. Because no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve two masters. It is impossible. Yes, the 
economic outlook outlook may be bleak and we will need to respond and continue to respond with prudence and prayer and ongoing gratitude for all God's goodness to us and with compassion and generosity towards those who are most affected by high energy bills, rising mortgage rates, rising food prices and so on. But while the cost of living may be a challenge uh, in the coming year, we must also guard our hearts, mustn't we, against increasing anxiety and ensnaring greed and the draw of materialism, because the cost of, well, the cost of living may be a challenge, but the cost of loving earthly treasures, the cost of loving money and stuff, is too high a price to pay. So decide now, who will you serve? God or mammon? Because you cannot serve both. <laughs>